well, let's get to the message. Today, uh, we are in chapter 27, which means that we only have two sermons left, this one and next week, in the book of Acts. Hasn't it been amazing? What a ride, right? So uh, it's been a lot of fun um, as we've gone through this, and uh, today we could talk about surviving a storm. And uh, I probably don't even ask this, but is your life always going as planned? Yeah, yeah, and said no one ever, Right? Life gets messy. It just, you know, we have our plans, and then, then life hits. And, uh, and that's just part of disruptions. What do we do when the world is, the imperfection of the world invades our space and causes us to take a different course? Uh, how do we handle that? That really matters. And today we're going to talk about uh, how the example of Paul in the midst of this, but the principles that we see in God's Word of how we... Uh, that we don't only have to face the storm, not we just survive the storm, but how we can navigate it well. And so uh, let's get into, of course, before we get into the, the passage itself, we have our memory verse. It's only got this week and one more week. I hope that uh, by now, if you've been here with us through the summer, that this is really starting to stick um, and uh, really beginning to make a difference in your heart and your life. But if you're new with us today, you're our guest, or maybe you've been putting it off because you're a procrastinator, that's fine. Now is the time to really want to set this into our heart and mind. So in order to help with that, we're just going to say this a few times uh, and uh, let it stick and uh, power of God's word. So here we go. Three, two, one. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace, Acts 20, 24. And you know what? We can testify to the good news of God's grace even in bad times. Isn't that great? And that's what we talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open them up with me? Join me on Acts chapter 27. If you're using one of our Bibles, it's going to be on page 780. If you forgot your Bible today or you need a Bible, don't worry about it. We have some by the sound booth. You can use one of those. And if you need a Bible, just keep it. It'll be our gift to you. Now, in context, what's happening in Acts chapter 27? Well, Acts chapter 26, we finally have Paul. He appeals to Caesar, and now he's going to go to Caesar, right? So after two years and multiple trials, uh, where Paul, um, under false and trumped-up charges, he's now finally being uh, sent out him to Rome, which is a place that Paul really wanted to go for a long time anyhow. And so now he gets to go, expenses paid, thanks to the Roman government. And so he was found not guilty, uh, and so um, by Lysias, that was the, go- the, the guy who arrested him, he was found not guilty by the Pharisees, right, and the Sanhedrin, he was found not guilty by the governor Felix, he was found not guilty by the governor, governor Festus, he was found not guilty by Herod Agrippa II, who was the Temple Mount chieftain, right? Despite all of that, he still got to go and to see Caesar in Rome, and so this is where he's going to go today. And so uh, he was in charge under a centurion as he leaves named uh, Julius. And this was apparently a guy of, of, that he was well known. And this is the path that Paul takes back to Rome. And so today's story begins with Paul is down here in Caesarea. So those of you who are in Israel can remember that. And we see that Paul begins his journey and he starts going up the coast to Sidon where he gets off the boat and he's able to go and get some supplies and things like that. And remember, the last time Paul was there, uh, he got to meet Christians for the very first time. It was two years before that. 
and uh, the Christian churches that were there, and they, uh, he spent a week with them, and they thought that Paul was so awesome that by the end of this week there that they went down while he was leaving and on the seashore, and they had a great worship time. That's where he was at. And so he was being travel, um, got all his provisions for his travel. And from there, he uh, continues up the shoreline. He's going to go all the way up from uh, to Antioch, which is his sending church for all of his missionary things. Doesn't get to stay there very long, but then he goes to Mira. And that's where uh, well, he was at uh, that place. You'll notice that he must have been on a smaller boat because it was hugging the shoreline. And it takes a long time to travel that way. It's kind of like getting on an airport when they put you on those little tiny airplanes that have like still the props the propellers, and you're cramped in, and it's not fun to travel like that. So they're looking for a big jetliner, and so uh, what they do is they found an Egyptian ship, a big one, a grain ship that was uh, traveling all the way um, from Alexandria, and this is a ship that was so big it was able to cross the open sea and travel all the way up to the city and mirror where they were at. And so one of the, and so the ship was planning on making that kind of direct route up directly through there, but instead... They get on that ship, and uh, they face bad winds. Like, it was just not good travel, and so instead of taking the course that the ship really wanted to do right through the open water, they get blown off course down by Crete, and they end up at this place called Fair Haven. It said, much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous, because now it was, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to our ship and cargo, and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to Paul, said uh, what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. And since the harbor, Fair Havens, was unstable, uh, unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that they should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. Winter was a much uh, 40 miles up the coastline. That's where Phoenix was. And so the idea was, let's go to a better harbor. We've already lost a lot of time. We're going to have to wait out the winter here in Crete. And, uh, but they didn't like Fairhaven's, not a great spot. So let's just go 40 more miles. That's it, right? And so they waited and they thought, okay, uh, we're going to wait for the winds to get good because the winds were against them, blew them. That's a long way being diverted off course, by the way, right? You think you're going to go straight to, to Rome, to Italy, and you end up getting blown off into Crete? Things weren't good. That's a lot of wind for a big ship to be blown off like that. So they wait. The wind looks good, Right? The wind actually picks, like, goes the right direction, and so they think, oh, this is our chance. And so they, they start sailing, and then something bad happens for them uh, whilst they were there. And uh, basically, it, uh, they get blown off course um, even further, and then they get caught up in a big Mediterranean storm. And they're blown everywhere. They have no idea where they're at, right? Things are going really, really bad. We read about verse 14, picks up the story there. It says, Before long, a wind of a hurricane of force, uh, of a hurricane force called a nor'easter swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm, and they could not head into the wind. So they gave way and, to it and were driven along. And we passed to the lee of a small island called Caudia, and we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were so afraid uh, of what they would, they would run aground on the sandbars of uh, Sirtis. I butchered that name. They lowered the, the anchor, they lowered sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. They took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. 
On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Have you ever been in a time in life where it just seems like they got bad? You waited for something good. You thought the timing was good. Everything seems right. And then everything wrong happens. I mean, they were, they were in a bad shape. vessel, And they say, let's throw off all this stuff that's going to make this ship make money. Right? If, if the ship's owner was on the boat, he had to make that call. The things are bad when he's like, well, I'm going to lose everything. My entire life savings, everything, but we're going to live. And that wasn't enough. And finally, they're like, even the tackle, that's so they could eat. They are now lost without fishing lines or nothing, right? Without any source that they're going to have any type of, uh, to get new food or anything like that. They have basically done everything they can just to stay afloat. But there is no hope for them at this point. And they, I imagine you could feel pretty depressed. And that's really where they, they were. And so in the midst of all of this, we find that they weren't alone. That Paul was there and around a bunch of people where everything is going wrong. You look at, at everything out there and everything looks like it should continue to go wrong. There's no reason for hope. We're all lost. Everything is bad. The pessimists are right. This is where they were at. And in verse 21, it said, After they've gone a long time without food, Paul stood up and before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice <laughs> and not sail from Crete. I love how you just got to get that in there. Like, I told you, and we wouldn't be in this mess. He had listened, but, you know, he was still human. He says, and then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. In the midst of the storm, when everything seemed lost, God shows up and gives them not the perfect promise. Oftentimes, when we're in the middle of the storm, we're like, God, we know that Jesus can just be like, hey, storm, be quiet, and it can happen. But that's not always how God handles the storms of life, both figuratively and literally. Sometimes in the midst of the raging storm, he comes and he gives us peace. The storm was still a typhoon. It was still raging. They were still being tossed around. They still didn't have food. Jesus didn't show up with sandwiches, right? They were still out there, but God had given Paul a promise. First, that he was present. God was not absent from this. He wasn't away. God still had a plan. This massive hurricane couldn't destroy Paul's purpose. And so God shows up, says, Paul, you're going, I told you you're going to go to Rome. You're going to go to Rome. And then you see the grace of God in the midst of this because Paul was with a bunch of not Christian sailors and soldiers. Right, with people that didn't worship God at all. And in the midst of all of this, in the midst of probably they were in there praying to their own false gods and all these types of things to no avail. And they were probably cursing their false gods to no avail. Paul shows them and testifies that there was a true and a real God 
And that real God is a God of grace and of mercy and of power and of purpose. Now, if you were the men of that ship, and it was clear waters, and Paul stood up and said that God, my God, is, is protecting us, and we're going to get to Rome safely, they would have mocked him. But something happens when you're in the middle of the water, and you've thrown out your tackle and all the rest of the, the stuff, right? And you're floating around, and you think you're going to die. Sometimes we get more open to new suggestions, new possibilities. So you find that most people who come to church here for the very first time, most of our new guests, not all of them, but oftentimes our new guests usually come in a time of turmoil. When there's pain in their life, when there's something unsettling, when they've lost their job or they've lost their love or they've lost something, when life isn't stable. God doesn't always cause the storms, but he will prove himself to be stable in the midst of them. And that's what we find with Paul. He stands up and he gives testimony to Jesus. And here's the thing. He didn't say it was going to be easy. He said, we're going to lose the ship. And if you were the ship's owner, that's pretty bad news. Right? It's going to be rough. We're going to lose the ship. We're going to run aground. And I don't know, I've never been in part of a shipwreck, thank the Lord. Well, I take that back. I was rafting once. And we, got, we went down on a rafting thing, and our raft got stuck on a rock, and then it deflated. And then we were stuck in the middle of the river with a deflated raft. That's as close as I've ever been to a shipwreck. And I'll tell you, that wasn't fun. But this was going to be a real shipwreck. They were going to run, into, run aground, and it was going to be chaotic, and things were going to be uncomfortable, and they're all going to get wet and cold and, and be draft, you know, washed up to shore like you know, wet rats and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't going to be fun. But the promise was, God said, I'm not going to spare you the difficulty, but I will spare your life in the midst of it. And so with that uh, great encouragement, they drifted for another two weeks you ever received a promise or anything like that? You, you get a promise as work, and then it seems like nothing? Two more weeks of darkness and rain and misery. Two more weeks. And I imagine Paul was probably like, okay, Lord, when, when are we going to run aground? But they were going to run aground. After 14 days of more, all this kind of stuff, they get close to the island of Malta. And uh, land ho. They start taking these soundings. And they're checking the ground. They're like, oh, ground is, is getting closer. <laughs> right? And so what they do is they, they start to make uh, uh, preparations. And some of the soldiers try to escape. Actually, some of the, 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 the not the soldiers, the, the, fish, the sailors. They have that lifeboat on there. And some of the sailors pretending to be getting the, the, the ship ready to, to uh, you know, crash. They look at that lifeboat, and they're like, this looks pretty good. And the sailors are like, man, we could just leave all these other people behind. So they're getting ready to do the lifeboat, and Paul's like, hey, if those guys take the lifeboat, then God's deal with you is off. Now, he didn't say God's deal with me is off. Paul would be just fine. Jesus said, you're going to be in Rome. But Paul speaks up and says, if you let those sailors steal the lifeboat, then there's no promise that any of you are going to survive. And you see the faith now of the soldiers. They cut the lifeboat. These men who once had no faith in Jesus, no faith in God, they were taking Paul prisoner to Rome. All of a sudden, they're now taking orders from him. Because they have faith in God, because it's the only hope that they have. And so they cut the lifeboat free. And so we read about that verse, uh, we'll pick it up, verse 21 a great story. It said, Paul got a long time without food, and Paul stood up before them and said, 
Oh, wait, I already read that. We go to uh, here, verse 29. Fearing that we would all be dashed to the rocks, they dropped anchor, and then they, uh, they um, anchored from the stern, and they prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down to the sea, pretending that they were going to lower some of the anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes, and they held the lifeboats, uh, and they just let it drift away. And then before dawn, Paul urged them to eat. So apparently he still had some food on there. But apparently, you know, being in a rocky boat is not the best time to eat. And they hadn't eaten for a long time, right? For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten any, a thing. Now I urge you to take some food. You'll need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single it to God in front of all of them. Then he broke it and began to eat. And they were encouraged and they ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. This was not a small ship. And Paul now testifies not only that God will save, but he demonstrates it in his own life. He said, we're getting close. We see that the, we know we're going to wreck, but we're going to be in the water probably a little bit. You're going to need this. And so he begins to eat himself, right? He begins to take some of that, that food, that precious food that they still have, and he shows them that he personally has faith in God. He's like, I know I'm going to survive. I'm, I'm going to eat. <laughs> And he sets the example, but he doesn't just set the example and taking the nourishment. What does he start with? He asks for grace. He prays before the meal, before all these hardened sailors and soldiers. And he gives thanks to God in the middle of a storm before he received his salvation. What a picture of, of confidence and the grace and the and ability of God to keep his word. And everybody else follows suit. And they eat. And they get ready, and then they crash. So at dawn, the shore was visible. They could see it. And they're like, all right, here's where we're going to go. And so the, the captain's like, all right, we're going to run this ship aground. We can see the bay, right? Let's just put the pedal to the metal. Let's, and they tied the, the steering so it would be nice and straight, right? So that way they could get ready to go. And they're going to run that ship right into land. They're like, as close as we can get, let's do it. And so the ship is moving full speed, going to run into the land. And it hits the sandbar way out and, and you know, way far away. And the front of the ship gets stuck there, and the water from the back keep beating the ship until it breaks this massive ship apart, right? And so when this happens, some of the soldiers that were on board, remember Roman soldiers, then they would have to pay the same penalty that the prisoner did. So some of these guards were like, we have these prisoners, let's just kill them here, so that way we can verify they're dead, and then we don't have to worry about uh, anybody escaping, but the centurion, remembering Paul's deal, either we all make it or not all of us make it, says, no, 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 let's not let the prisoners, let's not kill the prisoners, which again is a huge act of faith. And he says, all right, everybody who can swim, why don't you head that direction? Everyone who can't, as things break off on the ship that floats, grab it and float up to shore. And that's what they did. And every single one of them survives. Verse 41 what a great testimony to God's power. It says, but the ship struck a sandbar ground, uh, and it says, uh, the ship uh, struck fast, it wouldn't move, the stern was broken to pieces, and then he talked about the soldiers. Uh, once safely ashore, uh, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us great kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. They made it. They trusted God. In the midst of this horrible shipwreck, they got to swim to shore. They got to do all these things, but every single one of them made it. How cool. 
And they get there, and the people were nice. They weren't like cannibals. They weren't, they weren't mean, right? Even though the Romans would call them barbarians because they didn't speak you know, Latin. Now they were their own thing. The, the community was nice, and they said, wow, that was an awful shipwreck we just saw. And they build them this roaring fire, and you think, oh, it's over. We've done it, right? To let the guard down, we survived the storm. And for most of them, that was the way. But our enemy is ruthless and conniving and nasty. And so we've realized that they are on the shore and they're getting a fire to warm them up. And as they're building that fire, Paul grabs some sticks to go throw them on the fire. And there was a snake, a venomous, poisonous, awful snake that was in in that uh, thing of of wood that he was going to throw in the fire. And the snake wasn't very happy about being thrown into the fire. And so he bites Paul, latches on, like hangs on him, like the big old poisonous snake, like, right? And the islanders see this. And they're like, that dude that you call Paul, he must be one bad guy. Because the gods that they worship won't let him live. They see how evil he is. He survived the shipwreck, but but our gods made sure that there would be justice, that this man wouldn't survive because they knew how poisonous this snake was. And they're all looking at him in judgment. And the testimony that Paul had before all those sailors and all those soldiers on the boat and this Keeping of God's promise that all of them survived was ready, was at jeopardy of being called into question, right? Because Paul's testimony would be pretty much null and void at this point if he died from a snake and everybody was saying, no, Paul was an evil man and his God must not be very strong and save him from a shipwreck, but not a snake. But then God does another miracle. And Paul's got a snake hanging from him, poisonous, venomous. Everyone's like, he's going to die. Paul shakes the snake. Throws it into the fire. The snake burns up, and every, all eyes on Paul. Like, when is he going to get puffy and die? Right? When does he get all nauseous, or, or I don't know how you die in a snake by? When is he going to die? Right? And he doesn't, which would be awkward. Everybody watching you. And he's like, I feel fine. You feel fine now, Paul? I feel fine. And he feels fine. And eventually, he feels fine too long. And the people are like, oh, we got this wrong. This Paul fella, he's not a bad guy. He must be a god. Which shows you how crazy people are. But Paul's like, I'm not a god. And, uh, but it gave him a testimony. Now to an entire island of people. Out in the middle of nowhere. that The gospel had never was, didn't reach. Small community. And the gospel shows up there because our God is a merciful God. And he used the storm to bring the gospel to this tiny island because he cares even about those people. And he does something, a demonstration of his truth and his power so that these people on the island will also see the suffering of his people and see God's way of of salvation through them so they would listen to Paul and he shares the gospel. And they stay there several months and the governor opens his home and they stay there with him. And the governor has a dad. The dad was sick, and Paul goes and has an opportunity to pray for him. Luke is there with the doctor as well, cares for him. The man is healed. Again, more testimony. And the ministry of the church is now planted on a new island. And next week, we get to continue then the final journey back up to Rome as we finish the book. That is the story. What a story, isn't it? That's a, it's an amazing thing. Now I want to share with you three lessons that I get from this story about how do we survive the storm. 
And the first one, as I get this, is that storms happen. I think it's amazing that most of us are just shocked when bad things happen in our life. Like we're going along, we have our plans, everything is going good, and then all of a sudden the world goes off script. I hate it when that happens. But sometimes we're just shocked, and oftentimes I even see Christians get their faith is rocked. Like God promised us a perfect life in this broken world? You know he's going to torch this place, right? We're getting a new one, right? Like, this is not heaven. This is not paradise. It's not going to be perfect here. That's the promise. Why Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, right? Amen, Jesus, right? Bad things happen, right? We're in the fallen world. We, we have to understand that even when we're following God, bad things will happen. So expect it. And the next thing is this, is that God is with us. Even though bad things happen, Christians, even we go through a hard time in life, something bad happens, then we say, God, where are you? As though God is terrified by a little weather. One of you abandoned me and his purposes for my life and all of those things. No, God is still with us. His promises are still true. God sent an angel to show up visibly to Paul because he needed it, probably. He was probably a little discouraged. Paul had a promise from God. You're going to go to Rome. And now he was spinning around on a boat, middle of nowhere, with no food, no nets. Things look bad. It's easy to question, God, are you still in this? One of the great things about our faith is that it is a faith. That we don't have to just trust what we can see. And the reality is that no one lives life without faith. Everybody trusts things that they can't see, all of us, all the time, right? I mean, you go to a restaurant, you sit down, right? Most of us just drink the water that's there. I don't know if they didn't get that water from the toilet. Right? I didn't check it. I didn't know where it came from. I just have faith they didn't. All of us, every single day, it's a reasonable faith, isn't it? The main powerful thing about our faith is not just we don't look at our circumstances. We don't have to look at what's happening today and say, well, God must be kicked off his throne. God must hate me. God must not have a purpose in all of this. We don't have to because God has promises for us, and he has shown them in the word multiple times. And he says, yeah, you're going to have difficult times, but I'm at work in these. I will work together all of these things together for the good of those that love me, called according to my purposes. That's what he said. And we've read the end of the book. The enemy keeps trying to rewrite it, but he can't. We know that God is still with us. God has a plan. God had a plan for Paul. God's plan for Paul was to go to Rome. God has a plan for you as well. And I'm not sure what it is. Sometimes God makes it very clear, says you're going to go to Rome. Sometimes God just says, follow me, just like he did with Abraham. Where, where, where are we going, God? I'll show you. Okay. But he showed him. I would say this, that we have to recognize that regardless of our circumstances, God's presence is very much with us, even when we don't feel God. Third thing I want to share from this is that, this, is that God is in control. God is not absent. Ours is not a fair-weather God. He is there with us in the midst of the storm, and He is not a weak God. Just because He allows storms to rage doesn't mean He doesn't have power. Often, all right, devil, bring your worst. And I will still allow my people to persist. I'm going to carry them through this. 
They're going to take your worst blows. They're going to be pressed, but they're not going to be crushed. They may be persecuted. They're not abandoned. You might strike them down, but they will not be destroyed. That's promise, isn't it? That is our God. He is in control. He is in control far more than the powers of this world and the powers of darkness and the powers of nature. Our God is in control. That's the whole purpose of the Gospel of Mark is to show us that. In an uncontrovertible way, through the absolute life of Christ, demonstrating time and time again by His miracle after miracle after miracle that our God is a powerful God. And that is the book of Acts. And that is the testimony of my life. Our God has power over any storm, over any situation. And that's why we can trust when it says in Romans 8.28 that God can work together all things for the good of those who love and call according to His purpose. God is a master of chess. Like, oh, devil, you want to do this? Checkmate. All right, crazy, messed up world, do you want to do this? I will do this. A checkmate. He saw the moves coming before He created the world. You're not going to trick him, and you're not going to surprise him, and you're not going to outdo him. The safest place in the world to be is in the will of God. The most dangerous place in the world you can be is outside of the will of God, feeling secure. So how do we apply this? I think the first thing we want to do is we need to expect the storm, right? We have to, in our life, say, I expect that bad things are going to happen. I don't know what it is, but this isn't paradise yet, right? I'm going to live my life planning for good things, praying for good things, but I expect that bad things will happen. I don't know, like maybe a praise place that we just finished five years ago is going to flood. Happens. Health problems are going to happen. Financial problems will happen. Relationship problems will happen. Okay, happens to everybody. The difference are that we have a God that's in control. But I think we've got to begin with this idea that the world doesn't owe us peace, that God doesn't owe us peace in this broken world. He offers us a peace in the midst of this broken world. When Amy, my wife, started getting sick, but much different than her, because I expected the world to go according to my plan. Because up until that point, mostly it did. And so when she started to get sick and things weren't going the way, I went up that mountain there and I asked God loudly, repeatedly, and with some colorful language at times, why me? Why us? I was like, there are some nasty people in charge of North Korea. Why not them? Right? I could think of a thousand people, God. Why my beautiful, sweet, wonderful wife? Why me? That's where I was at. And you know what God did? That's the first things he didn't do. He didn't bring lightning. He didn't just torch me and said, here's why. Right? He gave me grace, and he loved me through it, but my wife handled it much different. Amy said, why not me? What makes me different than anybody else? Aren't I human? Don't I live in a broken world? Aren't we all humans part of the problem <laughs> that we created this broken place? Isn't that part of the purpose in this? Then why not me? Her question was, God, what are you going to do? What are you going to do through this? 
Oh, what a great picture of maturity. And I think one of the things, when we begin to expect the storm and bad things happen in your life, to have that change, to stop saying, why me? Yeah, you're, you're a child of the king. Heaven is coming, right? Perfection is ours. It's coming. But in this world, you're going to suffer. Okay. Say, why not me? Isn't it better for you to suffer because you have the hope of God? That you can at least show something redemptive in the midst of it? To say, God, if you're going to allow me to suffer, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Second thing is that this, is that we don't fear the storm. Storms happen, but how many people live their life terrified of the future? Even people who seemingly have everything together. I mean, they insure themselves financially, they try to insure themselves socially, they try to insure themselves all physically, right? You take all the vitamins and do all the workouts and like that, and we all know that everybody dies. How many people live in fear of the future? They're afraid of what might come. We're not afraid of what might come. Jesus' promises are true today, as they've always been. He said, seek my kingdom and my righteousness above everything else, and get this, I will provide for you. I will care for you. That's the promise. You're not going to even have to worry. You don't have to worry about it at all. You can have peace that surpasses anybody's understanding, even your own. Just be faithful. Just trust me enough that I'm in this and I'm in control and I'm with you. Just trust me. Just be faithful. Don't take the lifeboat. Don't be afraid of the storm. It comes and it comes and it will bring God glory. That's why it's coming. We have an opportunity to build testimony. The storm is bigger than you. There's a great lie that's out there. The enemy brought about it a couple, a couple generations ago that said this, that God will never give you more than you can handle. Baloney. That is just a lie. Word of God doesn't say that at all. It says he's never going to give you more temptation than you can handle without sinning. Right? We can't ever blame God. The Lord made me do it. We can't ever do that. That's what the Word of God says. But as far as your problems, yeah, they're going to be bigger than you. That's why you need a Savior. Right? That's why we need God. That's the miraculous power. That's the testimony in our life. When people look at what we came through, they can't say, well, he was just a good swimmer. They'll look at me like, I, I have got, got nothing. I don't know how they, they went through that. Your God is bigger than those things, and your God is at work, so just trust Him. You might even know His plan, but just trust Him. Just, just follow what He tells you to do. He will carry it. He will build testimony through these things. So we don't have to be afraid of the storm. It's not bigger than God. And your God is with you, and your God is powerful. And that's why we do this last part, is we keep the faith. Keep it. Right? All God asks for us is to obey. God never asks us to understand. Isn't that cool in Scripture? God's not always like, hey, I really, you have to get this mentally right. He just said, trust me. There's a lot of things that God tells us to do that I don't fully understand. He says, love mean people. Bless those people who are being absolutely nasty to you and they're totally wrong. Bless them. That will never make sense to me. But he says, do it, so I do it. He says, forgive people when they don't deserve it. Is <laughs> that going to make sense? No. But I'll tell you what, it's a powerful thing. Our God doesn't always make sense to us. His ways are higher than our ways, but he just says, trust me. And can we trust him? 
I think sometimes when you're out spinning around the middle of the ocean with waves going up everywhere and everyone's like, oh, doom and gloom, it's easier to say, okay, well, what do I have to lose? I'm going to trust God. I think the bigger test is one on those nice, beautiful days when the, the sailing is smooth. Can you still trust God then too? Can you keep the faith then and say, well, I think I've got a better path? Keep the faith. He asks us to do. Know that he's got a purpose in your life. Cut the lifeboats. Too many of us have another plan. We have, a, we have a foot on the boat of faith, and then we have a little lifeboat on the side, just in case, you know, God doesn't do what we want him to do. Jesus said, listen, if you put your hand to the plow and you start moving ahead and you look back, you're not worthy of the kingdom. That's what he's talking about. He said, listen, you have to be in or out. Trust him or don't. And I would say, what are your options? You have God or you don't, but you'll still have storms. Trust God. Keep the faith. Wait on God, and when everything falls apart and the ship falls to pieces, swim to shore. Right? That's sometimes what we have to do. And let the salvation of God come. There's those two actions that are for us in Christ. And keeping the faith is patience. We've got to wait on God. Right? Sometimes he gives you a promise, and then 14 more days, you're spinning around the ocean. You're like, I don't know what the time is. And then eventually you're like, land ho. Okay, here we go. Wait on God. And when the opportunity comes, take faithful action. So, today... We talked about how we survived the storm. Storms happen, right? We learned that. I think we all agree. God is with us in the storm. And finally, we say that God is in control, right? So how do we respond? We expect the storm. We're going to do. We're going to keep. Uh, we're not going to fear the storm. We're not going to fear life. Christians are not fearful people. We look boldly into the brokenness of this world. And we say with the kingdom of God is going to advance boldly and amongst us. Hard times, good times, doesn't matter. God is still in control and he's with us. So just keep the faith. That's how we survive the storm. How about for you? How do you apply that into your life? How do you begin to apply these truths to your life? And your connection card today, I invite you to take that out. And there's a couple things that you might want to do to help you put to action some of the things we talked today. And the first one I'm going to encourage you to do is why don't you read or memorize Acts 20-24? Why? Because that is our goal. That is our, our mission. I consider my life worth nothing to me. Okay, if the devil takes me out to be absent from the body, be present with the Lord, amen, praise God, okay, not about self-preservation. It's about the kingdom of God advancing here. I have an aim. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task. The task is testifying to the good news of God's grace. Even in the midst of hard times, there is still good news. God is in control. He's testifying you through this. He's good. Memorize that passage. Allow it to set your heart and your thinking. Maybe this week, in addition to, to memorizing that, the second thing you might want to do, you see it on the back of your connection card there, is you want to read Acts 27 and a little bit of 28, right? You're going to get to read the story. I told you a little of it. It is a fascinating story. It's a true story of a shipwreck, which is crazy. You see God's sovereignty in the midst of it. It's that same God that's at power today. Maybe that's what you spend some time reading that this week. And it says chapters. It's really like a page each, right? It's not a lot. Maybe the last thing you can do, you'll notice that there's a, a point of action there. It says send a note of encouragement or an action of encouragement for another brother or sister. Paul, in the midst of the boat, even when his life was chaotic, what did he do? He encouraged other people. That is a testimony of faithfulness in God, right? It doesn't matter what stage of life we're in. It's important to know that sometimes we just need the encouragement of other people. And it doesn't matter where you're at. You still have the ability to encourage others in their faith. So maybe this week you think about somebody you know. Maybe it's part of the church or somebody in the community, somebody in your family that you know. And you're going to reach out to them and just let them encourage them. Hey, listen, it's been hard, but our God is real. 
I've been praying for you. There's, this is not the end. Today is not forever. Every storm has a beginning, but every storm has an end. Press on. Encourage one another is what the Word says, all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. Maybe you put that to practice this week, a way of uh, showing your faith, even in the midst of the storm. Whatever your commitment was, I encourage you to make that, but also on the bottom of your connection card is a place for you to write down your prayer requests. Please let me know how to pray for you this week. It's a great joy and a privilege that I get to have to be able to pray over you and with you this week, so please mark those down in just a minute. We're going to take our offering. And as we pass the offering baskets, I invite you to take those uh, connection cards along with your tithes and your offerings, put those in the baskets, and, uh, and uh, to see what God does with those things. Now, if you wouldn't mind, would you please join me as I pray for you and for our offering and for our commitments? I would appreciate it. Let's do. Father God, thank you for being you. That you're bigger than nature. You're bigger than the spiritual uh, forces in this world. You're bigger than us. You're bigger than our fears, and you're bigger than our storms. You're bigger than our problems. Lord, we put our trust in you. But it's not just that you're bigger, it's that you're kinder. You're a God of mercy and a God of grace. That's good news of your grace is what you told us to testify. So, Father, build a testimony in us. Lord, for those of us in our congregation today that are facing storms, that are raging, things feel out of control. Lord, I pray that uh, you would encourage them. Father, remind them of your purpose in their life. Help them navigate this to the storm. Father God, I pray that you would use the testimony of those that we faced in the past to be able to testify and point to you. Help us to encourage one another in this, Lord. And Father God, we also pray for the tithes and the, and, uh, the offerings that we bring in today as much as we also uh, pray for all of the commitments as well. Would you please use these, bless these, build your kingdom through these in this broken world so we could testify to you the one, the true, the real God, who is our Redeemer, Restorer, the God who has come to make all things new. We pray all of this in the beautiful name of that Savior Jesus. Amen.